Hi, this is Paula. And I'm Joseph, and you're listening to Life Lived Better. Well, hey, Paula, how are you doing? I'm doing great. We are in the springtime. We are in April. How about you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Everything's going great on my end. Yeah, I understand you just went to the concert of the decade. Ooh, yeah, Miss Swift. Yeah, Tay Tay. Yeah, it was really good. Oh, I it was long but good. Yeah, I bet. I bet she's an amazing performer. She performed, I think they said 44 songs, and it was about three, about um, almost three and a half hours That's of her. Amazing. And then she had two opening bands. That's so, amazing because she doesn't have to. I mean, you know, right. people would go see her even if it was just an hour. Mm-hmm. She's the first person that sold that stadium out three days in a row. She there all weekend? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. How does she do that and not get exhausted? I don't know because she performs. Man, and, and she's like going, she's on the road to somewhere else today and will do it again multiple times. That's, well, that's, uh, she must be in good shape. And yep. she's young. <laughs> Very true. Very, yeah, I could do things when I was young that I don't do today. That is awesome. Well, today we have on the agenda one of those topics that's dear to you and I for sure. Today we're going to be talking about disordered eating versus eating disorders. So we'll be talking about both of those topics. But did you even know that there is a difference? You know, if I'm being honest, I did not know until you provided this excellent information. They're very, very similar, the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, um, like at the university, we talk a lot about using appropriate language, like especially mm-hmm. with counseling, mental health, addictions. And so when we we shifted to the term disordered eating, I too thought that it was just a more like desirable way to say eating disorder, but it, mm-hmm. it actually isn't. It's because disordered eating encompasses eating disorders and a, and a different set of uh, characteristics as well. A little bit of research on, on both that we'll be using to, for this episode, but would you, did you, can you believe that about 30 million Americans have an eating disorder? That means they have a diagnosable disorder. Wow. That's a lot. That is. I'm afraid I might be one of the people in that category. Yeah, I don't know if my eating would fall under disordered or eating. I guess we'll find out as we go through. I guess we will. We (laughs) might have Joseph unfold before our eyes here, before our ears. (laughs) So we're going to start with disordered eating, correct? We are. We're going to talk a little bit about the key differences between disordered eating and eating disorders. And people with disordered eating don't necessarily meet like the diagnostic criteria for an eating disorder. And they may also not have the same fears, you know, around weight, gaining weight, losing weight, and and all the characteristics that come with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. The primary difference between disordered eating and eating disorders involves the severity and the degree of the symptoms. Um, Disordered eating frequently involves many of the same behaviors that occur in eating disorders, but the symptoms occur less frequently or less intensely. Mm-hmm. That sounds so much like addiction. You know, a yeah. person may not necessarily meet criteria for like a severe substance use disorder, but they may like be misusing substances. Mm-hmm. So that, that, and that doesn't mean that like disordered eating isn't as serious as an eating disorder, but like an eating disorder has like a set of criteria, which makes them like where you can recognize them. 
they actually have a diagnosis and, you know, because the disordered eating, you know, it can be more subtle. So it's a little more different to recognize, a little more challenging to address, but, um, you know, and, and some people with disordered eating could continue to, you know, and develop an eating disorder. I feel like that would be kind of the natural progression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And I would just say, unless something arrests it, you know, unless there was some kind of intervention, you or someone, you know, helped you come to terms with at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the difference between the two. Like, like what is an eating disorder? What are kind of the characteristics? So some of the characteristics for eating disorder specifically in our research show obsessive thoughts about food, extreme concerns about calories, significant changes in your weight, obsessive thoughts related to shape and weight, impaired functioning due to counting calories, binging, purging, exercising, or other behaviors. Those are all familiar. Uh, Check me (laughs) into treatment. (laughs) And disordered eating is, you know, eating for reasons other than nourishment or hunger, eating to deal with stress or or difficult emotions, some kind of calorie restriction, binging, purging, irregularity, avoiding major food groups, and only eating certain foods. Okay, so I have all of these. (laughs) I have them in both categories. Yeah. Oh. I just feel like all of these kind of should fall under one umbrella, right? I'm telling you. And, and, you know, it falls all under the umbrella of just disordered eating per se. Mm -hmm. Just because, and, you know, in in counseling, we use a a diagnostic tool. It's a book, like a reference book. It's called the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM. Um, And so disordered eating isn't a condition that's in that. So there's not a diagnosis per se for it, for that, but eating disorders are in there. So there, mm-hmm. those certain criteria are in there. And that's the biggest difference, you know, and I think, but both of them really do cause negative emotions, shame, guilt, a feeling of being out of control based on, you know, limiting your choices, restricting your food intake the discomfort of all of that again can identify with all of those mm-hmm. like you know when you come in especially the being out of control like you know I can remember periods in my life where I felt completely out of control going back to my childhood with food because food has always been a coping mechanism for me I always say sugar is my drug of choice mm-hmm. because it's just always been a part of my life and always been a struggle mm-hmm. and there is so much shame and guilt around food and and eating and intake different kinds of food yeah so that's yeah absolutely and I have more than once in my life detoxed from sugar and it's serious business I mean it is I mean drug addiction I mean it truly truly is physically emotionally mentally all of it I mean it is it's it's amazing to me and then when I have then gone back to sugar it happens just like addiction i mean it mm-hmm. happens where it's not like i i say like okay today i'm going to reintroduce sugar you know just like tiny little ways that it creeps back in and all of a sudden full blown eating sugar again right and saying how did i let this happen because it was so painful to detox off the sugar and i felt so much better when i wasn't eating sugar how have i gotten myself back to this place again mhm 
and the cycle, then it goes, you know, but it's so much more acceptable in society, you know, I would not use heroin sitting at my work meetings, but we have uh, donuts and, you know, desserts and all kinds of things at every gathering at, mm -hmm. at a work meeting. So I can just sit right there and engage in that sugar eating without anyone knowing what's it, what's going on inside my brain and body. Yeah, that's a good point. And I don't know if you said this, but really important that not everyone who engages in disordered eating would necessarily develop an eating disorder, but a lot of people feel like it can lead to an eating disorder if not checked. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so the symptoms of disordered eating are very similar to eating disorders, but the behaviors, again, less severe, more infrequent. So they don't meet the criteria for an eating disorder. So, so what type of behaviors can be defined as disordered? A few of them uh, avoiding certain food groups. So just entire groups of food. Not allowing yourself to have those. Uh, binge eating, calorie restriction, and extreme dieting. Done that. Mm -hmm. um, changes in your weight. Eating due to boredom. Definitely can check that one. Boy. Uh, eating as a way to cope with stress. Eating to deal with emotions. So there's a lot. There's mm -hmm. a I, that that um, eating due to boredom, eating as a way to cope with stress, eating, you know, to deal with emotions and stuff. I think about like the times people have suggested to me medication that decreases my appetite. Mm -hmm. And I always like think it has nothing to do with my appetite. I can eat right through that. You know, right. <laughs> it's not like the the taking my appetite away. I don't eat. Uh, for 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 being hungry, uh, unless I am, I am uh, mindfully eating, and and there are times, even years, you know, that I do that very very well, very diligently. Mm -hmm. uh, but it takes me to be present every moment that I have food in my hands to to mindfully eat. I was reading something not too long ago about how bad it is to eat, like while you're watching TV, mm -hmm. because you will eat as long as you're watching tv mm -hmm. and you will go back for more food and you associate tv with eating mm -hmm. and yeah. so you end up eating more frequently more often because you're watching tv and your your brain has made that connection yeah i've heard that about riding in the car as well mm -hmm. eating if you eat while you drive that, and then it would be become a you know i, I made that comment a couple weekends ago that if i was like a if I did truck driving as a living, I would probably weigh 500 pounds because when I go on a road trip, you know, my first stop is at a Bucky's <laughs> and I'm not hungry, but I need to fill some stuff up. And then the next time we stop, even if it's for a bathroom break, I need to get some stuff, you know, Yeah. sometimes it's just stuff. Sometimes it's food, but um, yeah, wouldn't work for me. I love Funyuns for a road trip. Oh, That's my go-to. Munchos. I've never even seen them before outside of a convenience store, but I eat those things. My son said to me one day when he was little, he said, do you see how much grease is at the bottom of this bag? That's why I get those. <laughs> Some more of the characteristics of disordered eating involve elaborate rituals related to food and eating eating the same thing every day, engaging in some sort of like limiting or irregular binging and purging, and then feeling guilty because of certain foods, then labeling foods as bad or good, 
boy, I see myself in so much of this. Mm-hmm. Misuse of diuretics, laxatives, enemas, only eating certain foods, self-induced vomiting, skipping meals, kind of taking a black and white all or nothing approach to healthy eating, and then also using diet pills suppl- or other supplements to lose weight. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how many of those I said yes to. It's a good thing we're not taking a sir a quiz. <laughs> no, I have it just so we all know. I have it in spades. Yeah. But do you have disordered eating or an eating disorder? Well, I, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what types of eating disorders are there? So ha- what types of disordered eating are there? So there's a few different kinds. Um, can include things like cleanses. Um, we mentioned diet pills, um, emotional eating. So eating when you're happy, sad, you know, whatever you're feeling is is you're eating as a result, um, excessive exercising, the fad diets, laxative abuse, misusing supplements, overeating, skipping meals or fasting, and social withdrawal. So you you avoid social activities that revolve around consumption, food consumption, which is also one of those boxes that you check in alcohol disorders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Planning your planning your outings around places that you can drink. This is the opposite, planning your outings around places that you're not going to eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I I was so excited when we went through that list. I've never done a cleanse. I've tried, but like by, you know, two hours into it, I'm like, oh no, screw this. Can't do it. (laughs) And I've, um, I've, I've never excessively exercised. I exercise. So disordered eating can also include, you know, the use of any kind of behaviors, following the eating like induced vomiting other things like extreme exercise laxative use diuretics these behaviors if they are infrequent they wouldn't meet criteria for an actual eating disorder so if they don't occur at least once a week for three months they wouldn't be an eating disorder so there's one of the real specific ways that disordered eating is different than an eating disorder, but dieting can contribute to disordered eating and that can then cause eating disorders. I think we, especially Americans, we have such a dysfunctional relationship with food and dieting. I mean, dieting is a Trillion, I don't know what the more than billions and billions and billions of dollars of uh, of industry that you mm-hmm. know the diets are and all the things related because it's such a huge problem. Well, if you think about it, like the portion sizes and the calorie intake, like the amount of food that we as Americans consume is insane to me. I had um, you know weight loss surgery years ago and. A lot of people see that as an easy way out with weight loss, but it definitely is not. Um, it, I'm not going to lie and say it's it's not an easier way, um, but there's still you still have to make major life changes and you have to maintain it. Otherwise, you gain the weight back. And so my relationship with food had to change. And it took that surgery for me to realize just how little food you actually need to consume in order to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um it's a tiny bit, right? It's a tiny amount. Yeah. Um, 
and it needs to be healthy food. It needs to be your proteins and your complex carbs and your vegetables. Like, you know, it needs to be good, healthy food. You know, that's something that changed my life. And and it was when I was 39 or 40. So it's been five years now. I've been able to maintain everything. And, you know, I would li- I like to think I have a healthier relationship with food, but still on some levels we're reading through these, there's still some things that I practice. I still weigh every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's probably a good thing, but it's something that helps me kind of keep my my food and water intake uh, in check because I know if I gain a pound or two that I didn't drink enough water that day or, you know, maybe I ate something that I shouldn't have eaten. Um, but for me, it's just something that helps me kind of be mindful of, you know, my my weight. And I've always, always, always struggled with that. And so, you know, some people say you shouldn't weigh every day, you should weigh once a week or once a month, or you don't weigh at all, just wait wait when you wait until you go to the doctor's office. Um, but for me, it's just been something that's been a habit and has been, I believe, to be helpful. But I think that's one of the things that it says in disordered eating is that you should not weigh on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, though, if you, I mean, I think it's hard for someone to tell another person what they can do, but you also are very aware. I have an eating disorder and well, at least actively disordered eating. Um, so I I may not be the person to go to for advice on this, but I think if you have had weight issues your entire life and weight has been such a time consuming thing in your life, weighing each day in order to keep mindful of where you are, I don't think that's a bad thing because I was like, as you were talking, I was like flashing back to my growing up years where I never, I mean, I didn't weigh, I I didn't even know what a scale was. We didn't really keep one in the house for many, many, many years. But I remembered like when my mom would take me clothes shopping for the start of a new school year, and I would be in the dressing room crying because I couldn't button pants, but she was bringing me the size that I had worn like the year before. Like, so I went three months during a summer, not being, you know, not being attentive at all to what I was eating. And apparently I was eating just hordes of food and foods that were bad for me. And I gained a ton of weight where I I was, you know, not even wearing the same size. I personally think for me, weighing every day keeps me informed, you know, Mm -hmm. it keeps me like where, because if I... And I don't mean if I gain a pound or two that I'm going to have a meltdown, but if I gained a little weight, I have one of those scales that tells me everything, you know, like how mm-hmm. much water I'm drinking, you you know, you stand on it barefoot and it, I don't know, magically somehow, but some kind of, some kind of witchcraft, <laughs> yes. it tells you everything, you know, that, and it you know, measures muscle mass versus fat and all that, that information helps me. It helps mm-hmm. me know if I'm going down the right track, especially if one day I, it shows that, you know, my, I haven't drank a lot of water. That's great information because without mm-hmm. that data, I could go a week or two weeks and, you know, my body has to start telling me then. So I personally, I'm going to say, you're just fine. Keep on doing what you're doing. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and you, you have, I mean, truly over the time that I've known you, you have, you appear to have like a very healthy approach to things now. And you just seem to be, I don't know, it's, it, it, you and I seem to have similar journeys in so many ways, almost about the same time you've been on your journey in a 
new approach. I've been on a similar one uh, because I watch you and I get envious and I'm like, oh, tell me everything. Let me know mm-hmm. too. Uh, but I think both of us are in a real different place today with weight and food than we were 10 years ago. So, you know, absolutely. Uh, not that we weren't still trying things back then, but now it seems like it's more of like being healthy as part of our day-to-day living mm-hmm. rather than being on a diet and losing weight is right. part of our day-to-day, you know, living, which is to me, that's the litmus test for me as where I am, whether it's healthy or not. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And I think, you know, I think five pound fluctuations, not a big deal. Sometimes that's something that people would really struggle with or really, you know, kick some of this disordered eating into hyperdrive. Um, But I think that's normal. I mean, that can be water weight just, Mm -hmm. you know, day to day. But for me, if it exceeds that, then that's when I start, you know, really taking an inventory of, you know, what am I doing? What's happening? What kind of choices am I making? Am I emotionally eating? Um, is there something going on that I need to, you know, address because food is absolutely a coping mm-hmm. skill mechanism for me? Absolutely. And our, our the food we have in the United States is it it's just it's not even convenient to eat healthy. And mm-hmm. you know, we put so many additives and preservatives in our food. And, you know, there's going to be a documentary soon, I'm certain of it, if there hasn't already been kind of letting us in on, on the secret that this was all on purpose, you know, um, I believe there is a documentary out there like that, but our, you know, I think about like living in Europe versus living in America and how I could eat the very same amount of food in Europe as I do do in America. And it, my body reacts to it differently just because a lot of European food is very fresh and it doesn't have a lot of preservatives. And in America, a lot of our food has things in it that isn't good for your body. And it does things to your body. Like it does trigger some um, desire to eat more. It does mm-hmm. uh, cause you, you know, like to retain some sorts of uh, weights or, or chemicals. And I'm not certainly everyone, everyone has to understand. I absolutely love America. I'm not saying bad things about America. It's just the food is different and I have mm-hmm. to be informed about that. I ha- I didn't understand that before I started making it my business to learn more about what I was putting in my body. Yeah. Uh, about the time I got uh, diagnosed with an autoimmune uh, disorder, it is 90% related to, to food and my past with food. Wow. It's a lot. I mean, you, you m- mentioned emotional eating and, you know, the information that we research said told us you know that emotional eating is a common type of disordered eating and people when they experience when we experience negative challenging emotions emotions that aren't pleasurable or when we're engaging in you know unpleasurable activities we want to turn to something that is pleasurable that does boost our mood you know boosts our joy kind of helps us avoid pain and those eating patterns a lot of times they develop from childhood and we bring it into our adulthood and and they can become real unhealthy coping mechanisms and it Mm -hmm. can then of course that contributes to more negative feelings and then it just kind of becomes a vicious cycle because there's guilt and there's shame involved in that I can, you're talking about things coming from childhood. I can remember as a child, 
you know, in school, my parents at the time would give me, I think it was $2 lunch money every day. And with $2, you could get your meal. Um, but I would stop at the Circle K on my way to school and I would spend the $2 on those little pickle salt packs that were like yeah. five cents a piece. Mm -hmm. And then I would take them to school and I would sell them for a quarter. And so by the time lunch rolled around, I had you know five or six or $10 in my pocket that I could buy whatever I wanted for lunch. And then I could stop on my way home and buy all the junk food that I wanted. Mm -hmm. I can remember hiding wrappers under my bed and in cushions and, mm -hmm. you know, talk about addiction. Mm -hmm. Like that is, it's just, it's, it's wild to me mm -hmm. as a kid. Yeah. Well, you know, kids don't have access to a lot of things, but they can pretty readily get access to food, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, most of the time. And so, it makes sense to me why food can become so such a relief to uh, negative emotions. I mean, you can get it virtually anywhere, you know, it, I know there are some people that don't have access to food, but that many of us do. And, and it's so, no one usually is going, you know, if somebody walks by my office and I'm sticking a big piece of pizza in my mouth, I might feel embarrassed, but they don't think a thing of it you know, mm -hmm. but if I was sitting there shooting heroin, they might bring that to somebody's attention, you know, right. I mean, but they both do the same thing virtually. I'm not saying pizza is a bad thing, but <laughs> it's not the best thing. No. So what are some <laughs> moderation? <of> the... <laughs> exactly. I think you did tell me once that it had all food groups in it, didn't you? <laughs> well, sometimes. sometimes. So what are the causes of disordered eating? I mean, I know they're complex. I know there's a lot of them. But what are some of the factors that play a part? So one of the biggest ones I think right now is culture and society, celebrity culture, mm -hmm. television and movies, social media is huge and social yeah. media influencers. People yeah. have such a distorted body image based mm -hmm. on, you know, comparing themselves to things that we see in our social media. And, you know, it's all about looks and products and products that are going to make you look better. And it's just kind of, it, it distorts everything in my opinion, yeah. you know, because and, it's, oh yeah. And, and those filters. And I mean, people, you, you don't know if you're actually seeing the person when they post something on social media and tell you, you should buy this thing and you say, this is great for wrinkles. And they, mm -hmm. you know, they do some kind of filters and that's what helped the wrinkles, you know? Yeah. Isn't Madonna like the one recently that had that issue, like where people saw her in person and said, oh, mm -hmm. wow, like she's obviously what she's been posting on social media isn't what's real because she does not look that way in person. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I liked her reaction to that because she said, screw everyone. We need to be accepting people for who they are. But I can see like what you're seeing on on social media is not necessarily the truth about a person. I think she admitted she had just had some work done too mm -hmm. to her face. So yeah. she was still puffy and swollen. Yeah. But I mean, she's, that's a great example. Look at Madonna 25 years ago and look at her today. She doesn't resemble herself. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's a different, it's a different, the, the shape of her face is different. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, it's all about, you know, kind of keeping up with the appearances of yeah. everything. And that could even be, and I mean, we can talk about, this term I'm going to use when we talk about actual eating disorders, but uh, it, it could be like body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause she, if she's 
so needing to change it. Michael Jackson had that too. I mean, there, there was like a before and an after Michael Jackson that people mm-hmm. talk about. I mean, he really did distort his physical feature and that wasn't uh, filters. That was actual, you know, surgeries and stuff. Right. Uh, other mental health conditions like anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, those can contribute to the onset of disordered eating behaviors. That makes sense. You know, the compulsive like weighing every day exercise that kind of, that makes sense. Another one is stress and difficult life changes. Um, These can trigger the onset of disordered eating and things like loss of appetite, eating for comfort Mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Yeah, definitely difficult times. That makes sense, you know? And what do you do when somebody passes away? Everybody brings food. Tons, tons. Usually people aren't real hungry either. Many people aren't hungry. And I guess maybe it's for the guests that come. I'm not sure what that is. Maybe that's just become a thing because people just want to do something. And that's Mm -hmm. something you can, you know, you can do. Yeah. And of course, trauma can make people more vulnerable to any kind of unhealthy versus healthy behavior, but disordered eating and eating disorders are right in there as well. So this has been some really informative information. On our next episode, we'll be talking about eating disorders specifically and what that looks like. Yeah, I think that we've had a lot of good information. I really look forward to talking specifically about eating disorders next episode. Yep. So we'll see you next week. Don't forget that knowledge leads to a life lived better. Thank you for listening to Life Lived Better with Paula and Joseph. 